This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael Glenn Moore. If you have an interesting life story and would like to appear on the show, please drop me a note at inacitylikeyours at gmail.com. Also, join our Facebook page at In a City Like Yours podcast to receive notices of new releases and other info. Now, please welcome today's guest. Uh, my name is Allison Church. I am living currently in the city of Kansas City, Missouri. I am a transgendered uh, author, uh, transitioning from male to female. Uh, I discovered when I was 15 that I was different from most people. Uh, at that time, they did not have the uh, term or philosophy transgender. Uh, the only thing that I could associate with were either cross-dressers or transvestite, but in the culture of the time, there were stigmatas attached with those two ways of life that didn't appeal to me. And if I just insulted people who live those types of life, it was not intentional, and you have my apologies for that. Um, I gravitated toward the female side of the planet as each age of my life progressed. And it took me a long time to accept who I was because I also am still attracted to women, and I used that as a as a pause button going, I can't do that. How can I do that? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm still attracted to women. Um, and... My father was a retired Marine drill sergeant. Being who my father was, and if I would have told him and confessed to him who I was, he would have killed me. Uh, both my parents are gone now. Um, my mother would have been on the same side as my father, but she would have had the good sense and manners to keep it to herself. She was more uh, subtle than my father was, but they both still had traditional conservative values. So my parents are gone and back in 2020, when the uh, the modern plague hit us, I had some time to reflect and reflect on my life. And one day I just happened to look in the mirror at the right time. And I don't know if anybody else has experienced this, but your reflection looks back at you and talks to you. And basically it was telling me enough, it's time to be who you are. And I started taking hormone replacement therapy, which is an adventure I would not suggest to the weak because <laughs> it's a roller coaster of uh, emotions. I started my HRT treatment. I came out at work. I lost one of my uh, family members. Members, My youngest sister really doesn't have anything to do with it or talk to me anymore. So I still have one sister and she supports me. I have also during this adventure been a writer. 
I am a published writer. I have 16 books out, one novella under my chosen name. Uh, my original name is Donald Allen Kirch, and that's where you can find me on Amazon. It will have my modern picture on there, my, my present picture on there. I plan on using his name as a DBA, kind of like my Richard Bachman books. Uh, every novel and creative work that I do from now on will be under Allison Church. I write horror, science fiction, speculative science fiction, fantasy, dark fantasy, and romance. I have one historical novel out there that people have loved and or hated. And it's kind of like uh, Baklava. You either love it or you hate it. It's a fictional account of the making of the motion picture Gone with the Wind. I didn't realize how people loved that movie until I started writing the truth about it. <laughs> um... I'm also into the paranormal. I've been to several famous haunted uh, places. And uh, once when I was at, there was a house in Atchison, Kansas called the Sally House. And this house has a reputation of attacking only the men that go there. And the reason being, according to the, the backstory goes, is that this took place in the 1860s when, uh, unfortunately, uh, skin color was the gauge of your opportunity in society. And this one gentleman who owned the house was the uh, mayor of Atchison at one time and was a medical doctor. And he had a live-in African-American maid, and they both had an affair. And from that affair came the girl, Sally. As the story goes, the gentleman was also sort of the town drunk, too. Everybody knew he had a drinking problem. And one night when he was drunk, he either did one of two things because the story gets fuzzy here. He either operated on Sally because she had a burst appendix and it didn't work well because he was deep in his cups that night. Or she, he punished her by putting her out on the porch on a winter night and she froze to death. Either way, she passed away. And decades after that, any man that's lived in there since has been attacked by this ghost. And uh, they, they assume it's the ghost of the little girl, Sally. Well, myself and a couple people went there one time. We were doing a, a going to film a documentary and we we're going to put it on the, the internet and see if we could make it fly. It didn't, but my story is uh, still true and is in my book, Stranger Than Fiction. We went there in 2004 on a weekend, and this was back before the Sally House turned into a tourist trap like it is today. It was a rental property then, and it was between tenants. Nobody was there, so we didn't have to use our manners. We could go anywhere we wanted and film and photograph willy-nilly. Well, when we we went there, we had a sort of oddball collection of a paranormal, paranormal investigative group. We had me, the skeptic, and since I was the uh, writer, I took notes and would write up the text of the story. Uh, there was a witch who would be there and do Ouija readings. There was a psychic who was supposed to give us the feel of the house. And then there was just assorted camera people and investigators. Well, we went there and right off the bat, our cameraman got really sick. He just vomited all over the place. And when he left, he refused to come back in. So we didn't see him for the rest of the time we were there. And we were there for a whole weekend. The psychic to me was a screwball nutcase, and I was not impressed with her. The witch was a best friend of mine, so I knew she was legit, and she at least believed in what she was trying to sell. Well, 
As we were progressing after the event with the uh, cameraman, we went up to the second story. It's a, it was an old Victorian era house with the with a very long staircase. And as we were up on the uh, second floor, the EMF detectors that we had went nuts, which was unusual considering that all the electricity in the house was off. So it couldn't have been the wires in the house. We went into a room that's called the Sally Bear Room, and it's a room where all the people who go there and want to pay respect to Sally leave her a stuffed bear or a stuffed animal. And uh, that's where our witch friend decided to do a Ouija board um, reading. She chose me because she said, get this, she said, skeptics have the most open minds in the world. And I'm going, I doubt that when it comes to this. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't really go for it too much. I'm an optimistic believer at best. So we did the, the Ouija board re reading, and while we were doing the Ouija board reading, uh, one of the ion detectors started to go nuts, too. And we finished the Ouija board reading with not so much as a movement of the planchette. And um, I got into my notebook, and I was writing down. The, the psychic was going, whoa, whoa, and all that kind of mumbo-jumbo stuff that I wasn't paying attention to, so I honestly could not tell you what she was saying. But in my book, I remember writing down this psychic, and if you'll pardon my French, this psychic does not know shit. And I underlined the word shit about four or five times. And the minute I did that, I was heading down the stairs. I went down to about the third stair from the top, and I felt a pair of young adult female hands just reach over and grab me at the top of my shoulders. If that wasn't creepy enough, I felt two child's hands grab me on my ankles. And I looked around me on both sides to see if anybody was playing a number on me. And there was nowhere, no one was even near the staircase. And just when I looked to confirm that I was the only one there, the child hands pulled and the female hands on my shoulders pulled. And if it hadn't been for me dropping everything and putting one hand against the wall and the other one on the banister, I would have rolled down that long Victorian staircase, ass over tea kettle, and I could have broke my neck. And when I did that, everyone else was just looking at me, and then I go, can I have some help here? <laughs> but what it was is that I found out later that one of the people was filming me, and it looked in the camera as if there was like a dust cloud around me and I lifted off the uh, staircase about a fraction of an inch before I lost uh, my footing. And I left the Sally house a believer. Now, for years, since this happened in 2004, years I tried to tell myself that it was all psychosomatic and that I probably did this as a result of the disappointment of the Ouija board reading and the psychic and her credibility in my eyes. I mean, I wanted something to happen because I did a lot of research on this house. I, I, you know, I remember seeing stories about this on the uh, Fox television series Sightings, but then they called it the Heartland Haunting, and they actually made a very fictionalized movie of it once. Um, I wanted something to happen. Nothing happened. And then this happened. And I'm going, okay, this could just be psychosomatic. Then we went down to the basement. And the basement of the Sally house is just a riverbed rock basement with a furnace and a brick wall in the back that has a hole in it. And in this hole, there's this like dirt mound with a lot of spare planks of wood. What it was used for, I have no idea. 
but that didn't get my attention more than the black pentagram that was drawn on the basement floor right in front of the furnace. And I go, okay, that's different. And as we're going down into the basement, uh, it's it we're, we're all a collection of men and women, like a group of about maybe eight or nine. I think it was eight, I'm sorry. Um, we turned off the lights. The reason why we turned off our camera lights and got everything dark is because we also had a night vision uh, feature on our new camera and we wanted to test it out. You know, we wanted to all go ghost hunters, you know. And while we have the night vision on and the camera lights are all off, someone yells out in pain. And we flip on the camera lights again, which are all battery operated. And we find out that someone was hit by a brick. Now, that's like I said before, in the Sally Hess basement, it's all riverbed walls. We really did not see any brick down there with the sole exception of the chimney, and it didn't have any missing bricks. Uh, we thought that someone was possibly playing a practical joke on us because you have them in every uh, camera crew. Uh, so we turned off the lights again and we told everybody, okay, if there's a joker in the room, just please stop it with the bricks. Two people screamed out this time and we turned it on and there were more bricks being thrown at us. And what's the weird thing is, like I said, we were all, you know, a mixture of male and female. Everyone that was hit with a brick was only a man. Now, if this was something that was done as a practical joke in the total dark and it was total dark, what are the odds that three bricks would hit only the males? And we turned it off again. I got hit. And I got hit right in the, the, the right kidney area. And like everyone else, I cried out. I mean, it, when it hit, it hit hard. Almost like a speed, speed ball, like a softball hitting you. And turned it on, and sure enough, it was another brick. And we said, okay, enough with the, the basement. We're going back up to the, the, the front room or the living room area. And... As we went up to the living room area, every single battery-operated item we had, the camera, the lights, uh, the recording device that I had that was taking my, I was taking some notes when I was in the dark, obviously couldn't write, so I, I you know, said them on a little micro cassette recorder. Everything died. And the only time the psychic said anything, that made sense to me is that she said ghosts do this they drain the energy around them to manifest and at the time that they manifested you know in front of us then which i didn't see anything it decided to take all the energy from the batteries and i went okay and we did this for three days uh, on the last day we were taking pictures up in one of the bedrooms. I think it was probably the master bedroom, right next to the Sally Bear room across from the restroom. And we were taking pictures and none of us paid any attention to them. We were gonna use them as backdrop pictures in the documentary. And then when we got home and everything was over with, done with, and a weird memory, we looked at one of the pictures and coming from the outside of the second floor master bedroom, there appeared to be the shadow of a small person, whether it was male or female, we couldn't tell, but there was a silhouette there and it was somebody that was looking in. And if they were looking in, they were the tallest uh, child I've, I've ever encountered in my life. Um, 
the Sally House is an interesting place, but I haven't been there since it's been a tourist trip. So I don't know if all the psychic energy of that place has been soured or drained out because of all the uh, tourists that are going there taking a look at it. Now, also in Kansas, I went to a place called Stoll Cemetery. Now, this is a place that was used in a story plot in the old uh, uh, supernatural television series. And because of that episode, the poor people of Stull, Kansas, have had to deal with uh, people coming and uh, unfortunately desecrating the graves of their loved ones. It's a very small cemetery, but it has this big George Orwellian type fence around it now and signs that say, no trespassing, violators will be persecuted to the full extent of the law. And I, being a dumbass, wanted to go there and take a look at it because I've heard stories about it. So we go there. Um, I went with a game plan. I dressed up all in black and I reached for a book that looked like a Bible. It wasn't a Bible. It was actually Jonathan Mayberry's uh, hardcover edition of Patient Zero. So I thought that was kind of fun. And um, we go there and we get out of the car and there's residents that live across the street. So a lot of them come out and they watch to make sure that it's not tourists that are coming to visit the graveyard. And I get out and I take the black book and I put it, you know, diligently under my my right uh, armpit and hold on to it like it's sacred. And I wave all the other people with me to come up. And they're all looking at me kind of cockeyed going, what the hell is he doing? So I tell them to follow me silently and we go up and I'm pointing to gravestones and I'm patting one of them on the shoulder and they go, what the hell are you doing? And I looked at him and I smiled and through my teeth, I said, I'm pretending to be a priest taking you to see some graves. And then I looked at one of the people on the porch and I waved at him and they waved back and they left. So I must have, my, my ruse must have worked. And I apologize to the people of Stull Cemetery, you know, Stull, Stull, Kansas for doing that. It was just an advantageous thing on my part. But we went there to see the church because there's a church on that site. It's ruins now. I mean, they, they bulldozed it down about a year after I was there. And a friend of mine went into what was the, the inside of the church and his brand new phone made a whining sound and popped. And when he looked at his uh, screen, there was a big red X on it that says invalid signal will not work. And we're going, okay, I've never seen that on a phone before. And it was one of those new Samsung Galaxy phones. And he put it in his pocket. The church that's there, the ruins, has a dark history. It was supposed to have been built by field hands because they were going to put a church there, but one of the field hands didn't like the other, and they he killed the person in that church. And having a murder being done in the place that was going to be sanctified ground, they couldn't sanctify it. So it was never made into a church. There's also a superstition or a wives' tale that says that the Stull Cemetery is one of the legitimate gates to hell. And on midnight of Halloween, Satan's supposed to come and do a dance in the church. And a lot of people, unfortunately, went there. This was way before the supernatural craze. A lot of kids went there and uh, went to the church when it was standing and would wait to see if they saw Satan. I couldn't tell you if they ever did, but I'm sure they, you know, got a little bit of the grape and whatever illegal thing they could come up with and 
you know, had a relatively good time. <laughs> um, there's also a, a legend that nearby there's what they call the hanging tree, where there was a witch that was supposed to have been hung there during the settle, settler days. And she was thrown in a common ditch grave because, you know, once you're condemned being a witch, you can't be buried on sanctified ground. And according to what the story says, this witch was also carrying Satan's child. So every now and then on a Halloween, you'll hear Satan or something behind the hanging tree crying and lamenting for not only the loss of, of his you know, love, but also the loss of his child. And as we got in our cars and we headed back about three miles out of Stull, Kansas, my friend's cell phone did the same exact high whine and popped again. And lo and behold, it was working normally. And we went to his uh, provider and we told him the story and everything. And he brought up that zip code and he looked and he said, that's strange because there were six cell towers near that location that could have carried any signal. So maybe uh, the powers that be or the powers that want to be um, interrupted the service for a while and wanted to get our attention. It did. So that's my uh, dalliance into the uh, transgender universe and the paranormal universe. All wrapped in one. Now, during any of these episodes that you had before, was this before you became a writer? The, um... No, no. I've been a writer since 1997. This was while I was a writer, but I wasn't as established as I am now. And uh, were you transitioning at the time or is that was that you said it's no. only been a year so um, well it's been a year since i transitioned that was back in 2004 i was still thinking about it but i didn't start transitioning until 2020 okay well let's focus on your writing then um, okay so did any of these episodes did they relate to you in the way of you writing a book because of them yes some of the uh, paranormal books that i write I keep that in mind when I'm doing investigations on them. Like the book that I did mention, Strangers in Fictions, True Stories of the Paranormal. Because they're true stories, being a skeptic, I could not write them like uh, Char Charles Burlitz, who wrote like The Devil's Triangle and The Bermuda Triangle and stuff like that. Big paranormal, supernatural writer in the 70s. I had to do it from the point of view of a storyteller because that was the only way that I could understand it. I collected all the facts, did the research, and then I told the story that the research told me. And that book covers everything from the uh, disappearance of Flight 19 to the so-called uh, sightings of Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat. I do not, I do not debunk what these people said. I might add my own. Uh, you know, opinion, but like I tell them when I'm writing the story, it's just my opinion. Uh, what, who inspired you to become a writer? Is there? Uh, yes. Someone? Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Uh, Richard Matheson. He was the one that inspired me. Yeah, a lot of people, when, when they hear his name today, unless they're chronologically gifted like me, <laughs> they'll go, who's that? You might not know the man, but you know his work. He wrote... Uh, such books that were made in the movies like stir of echoes uh, somewhere in time come uh what was it the the one where robin williams 
dies and goes to heaven and finds out that his wife is oh in yeah hell. oh gosh what is that what, what dream what dreams may come may come yeah. yes yeah uh he wrote uh the uh, book that was made into the motion picture the legend of hell house he did a very uh he wrote a very early steven spielberg directed movie called duel which was a story about a gentleman who was trying to figure out why this truck driver was trying to kill him for just simply cutting him you know going around him and cutting him off in traffic yeah, that was Spielberg's first movie. Yes, um, it also had Dennis Weaver in it, who most of us old dogs will remember from the detective series McLeod. Um, he um, did a lot of the really scary original Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, there's a Star Trek connection. He uh, did the episode where a very young William Shatner was in an airplane, and he had he kept telling people that there's something on the wing of the plane. And later, he would write an original Star Trek episode called The Enemy Within, where there was a transporter malfunction, and it beamed up Kirk, but it beamed up a good Kirk and a bad Kirk. And they would battle each other while Spock was trying to figure out how to put them back together and stuff. He was an excellent, excellent writer. Um, he wrote or uh, he revised an a unpublished novel called The Night Stalker. And uh, it was put on television in 1972. It's a story about a real-life vampire that was loose in Las Vegas. And there was an intrepid uh, newspaper reporter called Carl Kolchak who was trying to write it up. And his editor, who was the skeptic, told him that he couldn't. And, and that, that movie of the week, that ABC movie of the week, held the number one most-watched a program in television history from 1972 until the last episode of mash that's how good that episode was now you write uh, paranormal and horror are there any other genres you'd like to dabble in or just those two yes um i do like i like fantasy i do have a fantasy uh trilogy uh, the trilogy itself is called The Known World Chronicles, and known is spelled without the K, because N-O-W-N is the name of the planet. Um, it's a story about uh, sort of a Lancelot-like character who is the champion of his, of his nation. And he is blamed for a crime that he did not commit. And the mother of this unfortunate victim, for him, is a very powerful Wicca master or a female wizard. And um, she decides the best way to destroy this man who committed this crime is to take away the one thing that he identifies with, and that's his manhood. So she transfers or, or transforms him into the most beautiful woman on the planet. And to add insult to injury, because he's a status-minded person, she makes him fall in love with her squire. And while they go on the quest to refine to find this woman, because she's gone to parts unknown, the squire actually rises above the spell, breaks it, and actually falls in love with his master. And he's got a dilemma that he has to face. Does he help his master seek out her manhood and get it back? Because in doing that, he will lose his one true love, because he totally, absolutely adores his master. And that's the that's the dilemma he faces. Okay, um, is that the only fictional? I mean, uh, 
uh, fantasy that you've got, or are you working on that's, another one? That, that's the only trilogy. I'm working on. I'm working on a, on a couple more. Um, I did one that was a, a satire, and it's a satire on the Roswell crash. It's called uh, something funny. Something funny happened on the way to Roswell, and it was my. Um, I guess you could say my homage to all these people in this small town, who, you know, are beat up and divided. There's like three main groups. There's the ones that believe that it happened. They're the ones that are sitting on the fence, and then there's the ones that absolutely want nothing to do with this. And I had an idea that there wasn't one crash in Roswell. There wasn't even two. There was actually three. <laughs> and I decided to make my own fictional third crash, and uh, it's you know it's a satire on something that I I never thought that there'd be something that was you know like a government snafu that would turn into such a eight-legged freak and take on it's kind of like a Star Trek cult it's taken on a mind of its own that's not to debunk what the Roswell people and all those three. Uh, groups believe and disbelieve but it was like roswell has actually been something that's fascinated me all my life yeah it's it's i think it's interesting that right now in time uh, the government's starting to release more information and kind of put in everybody's mind that maybe there there is paranormal i mean not paranormal um alien life out there um because for so oh, yeah. long they've hidden it and I, I think it's really they're they're trying to you know get us ready to accept it, okay, they're here now, and this is who they are, uh, and I'm well, really that, that excites me. How, how about it you? It does. It does. I mean, it also explains. Uh, I'm Trump likes to take credit for it, but I think that they had decided a long time ago to expand on the Air Force and make the Space Force. I mean, it's just the logical next step. It went from the Army, the Army Air Force, to the Air Force, and now it's become the Space Force. All they got to do now is, you know, start exploring space. <laughs> I'll sign up. Wouldn't that be fantastic? To... Oh God, yes. Uh, well, I mean, I'm... it would be. Go ahead. I was be like say... a... <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was go just going to say that I hope I'm alive when it when it happens. You know, when the the aliens yeah. finally finally visit and it's visible. But the only the only thing that I hope that doesn't happen is that I hope when the aliens do visit. He's there, Christopher Columbus, and we're the natives. I don't want something like that to happen <laughs> because oh, yeah. if they if they're benevolent if they're benevolent, good. But if they are not, there is nothing on this planet that could beat them. Because if they had a technology that could travel that far, uh, what we have must seem like like uh, play school and uh, finger painting to them. Yeah, and there would be other technology too that they possess that, that might help us medically and True. you know in all kinds of ways. Um, extend people's lives um you know i know elon musk is supposed to be putting out a ch brain chip and he said this year uh that will allow people who are paralyzed to walk and for people to uh, interact with their uh computers telepathically that would through their be, brain that would be wonderful and so where did that technology come from makes you wonder you know is elon musk does he, does he have a direct line somewhere in this is he is he paranormal is he a alien or because <laughs> you never know well you just you, if if you're a big doctor who fan elon musk does look a lot like captain jack 
So if I always, I, I, if I ever meet John Barrymore again, I'm going to tell him, dude, if they ever do a movie about Elon Musk, get your agent to push you. Um, are your books available online? Yes, uh, they are available on Amazon. When you look up my books, um, probably the best thing for you to do, and it pains me every time I say this, but uh, legalities, um, look me up under my dead name, uh, under Donald Allen, A-L-L-E-N, Kirch, K-I-R-C-H. And I also have a website that's donaldallenkirch.com, but there's no space between the three names. It's just one big globby word. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes so that people can either, if, if they can't remember the address, it'll be in the show notes for them to okay. reference, um, as well as your your Facebook, um, if they want to contact you through Facebook. and Absolutely, you know, so. absolutely. Okay, uh, how about, um, if? let me ask you this. If sure. you could have lunch with somebody, living or dead, who would that one person be and why? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would want to have lunch with Rod Serling. He was a very influential character or figure, I should say, to me when I was a child because everybody had that 13-inch black and white TV, you know, before they made color televisions that small and affordable. And I would watch um, his television programs, uh, Twilight Zone, uh, Rod Serling's Night Gallery. And what I liked about his stories, not only were they superbly written with snapping and clicking dialogue, the villain in the story always, always got his comeuppance. And that's something that when done today doesn't seem to have the same finesse that it had during his time. And I've always admired his writing. I've always admired his eerie narrations i mean that guy could sell mayonnaise and make you scared while he's doing it indeed he's a classic character really to be yes. to be real and to have that kind of effect on people how about yeah. if uh the same question except with a fictional character hmm mr spock uh because the duality that he had when he was on his shows in his movies i related to that because there was up and like i said all my life there's been a duality between donald and allison and it it was a battle for who was going to be standing when the fight was over and luck, luckily for me and my sanity allison prevailed uh, that's not to say that uh, i don't like who i was the, the socks and the shoes just didn't fit. But I would like to meet Mr. Spock so that I could tell him about my duality. And although it will be illogical and totally human to him, God bless him, um, I would like to get his input on that. And I would tell him that he had a remarkable influence on me and probably kept my logic on an even keel. Would you be human or would you be something other than Vulcan? That's a hard question to ask because I I envy people who can keep everything, you know, on a steady stream and have a poker face and all that. I obviously do not. When someone either makes me happy or makes me angry, they can read it on my face before the first word is uttered. Um, 
That is a hard question to ask. Well, let's, um, let, let's try this. Um, if you were to only leave uh, the world with something, just something main topic or main, uh, your main idea, what do you hope that that would be if you were, you know, ha had to leave the world today, say either de death or leaving the world, traveling to outer space, whatever, what would you hope to leave uh, the rest of the humanity? I would like to leave them the message, believe in yourself, try to find, all life is, is for us to try to find out who we are and to leave a legacy for the next generation who asks the same question. That's why literature is created. That's why people do art and music because these things help trigger either a desire or a memory that helps us, okay, this is what we were doing. I've been off the track for a few years. Now this is back on. I don't know how it happened, but I accept the gift that this person who had this voice before me was able to say. I want people to come up to me one day when I'm sitting at a Starbucks and ask who I am and then I confirm it. And then I just want one of them in the course of the rest of my life to say, thank you. I, I was in a dark spot and I read one of your books and it took my memory and my attitude away from that dark spot. And you saved me from doing something that could have been permanent. That's all, that's all we can do while we're here is leave something that tells the next generation, remember me, know that I had the same struggles you did, relatively speaking to our time and age. And I understand, I understand what you're going through. Just don't give up hope. There's always tomorrow. And if there's not tomorrow, live today. Unfortunately, uh, Anne Rice died this year. Uh, yes, she did. And she's always been one of my favorite writers. I started reading her while I was in college back in the 80s and got hooked on the Vampire series. Um, mm -hmm. She's written other things that I, that I don't think are as good as her Vampire series. And then Stephen King's another that I really admire. Uh, are they too commercial for you? Or do you, you, would you, do you go more for the uh, unsung heroes, somebody who's a really good writer but not maybe as famous i um actually go book by book i don't i mean i know if i buy a stephen king book he really doesn't need the royalty but he did earn it because he wrote it the same thing with ann rice now ann rice can join that collection of voices that will t tell people not yet born you know something that they need to know um when when Stephen King passes, I will mourn that day because I actually love his work. I mean, he had a hard life when he was a child and he deserves what he has. I mean, he worked for it. I mean, they, they are commercial, yes. Um, but every now and then I'll come across a book that belongs to an author I've never even heard of. And God bless them when you look them up on Wikipedia or the internet, you can't really find that much about them until you get 36 pages deep into your inquiry and there's like maybe a little thing oh and this guy wrote a book they don't even list the book you know um those people are very special to me they're like prophets in the desert those are the unsung heroes and the little gems that we find every now and then 
And to me, they're just as important as the ones we know, probably even more so because they're screaming the loudest in the desert. Do you hope to re to uh, reach that kind of popularity or are you just wanting to uh, just happy knowing that you've done your deal and you've published your books and that's good a, enough a little for you? bit of a little bit of both. I would be lying if I said I wouldn't want fame and fortune. Um, but at the same time, I've seen what fame and fortune does to some people. Some people just don't have the psychological makeup to, to put up with it. Um, I wouldn't mind being a minimum range writer, you know, one where I can just make enough to retire from my civilian job and actually do that full time. Now, I do write full time. There's two days of the year that I do not write, and that's Christmas and my birthday. The rest of the time I follow um, the old philosophy of Ernest Hemingway, where he said, as a writer, if you write at least one sentence a day, you're doing your job. Anything that you would like to cover that we haven't discussed already? Um, one of the, the tabs that people can visit on my website is a tab that's called Allison Through the Looking Glass. And it's kind of a video vlog, vlog, vlog. I think they call them vlogs. So that's not a blog, but it's a video blog um, of some experiences that I've had during my transition and uh it just gives me a way to vent you know and if they want to really get to understand being transgender and what transgender go through the good the bad and the ugly they are certainly welcome to uh you know peruse those episodes currently i got 15 on them uh, and there could be more give a shout out to Ben, the editor of this show. Ben also has a podcast called Two Marks and a Spark. You can find it wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Check it out. You won't be sorry.